I'm Sharon Blackie, and I'd like to welcome you to the Hedge School podcast. We're dedicated to conversations about building a new folk culture, one which is deeply rooted in our native knowledge and traditions. The Hedge School was born from my belief that the personal, social, and environmental problems we're facing today have arisen not just as a result of our profound disconnection from the beautiful, animate world around us, but from a lack of rootedness in our ancestral traditions. So our work is about reclaiming ancient wisdom, not to try to recreate a long-lost past, but to use that wisdom to help us build authentic traditions for today. In our series of podcasts, we'll be offering you conversations with people who can sprinkle a few breadcrumbs to help us find our way back home through this dark forest of our forgetting. The wisdom contained in myth and folk tales, connecting with our places, reclaiming our indigenous roots, the practice of traditional crafts and old ways of knowing, and so much more. If all this resonates with you, do come and join the discussion in our online communities. You can find out all you need to know at www.thehedgeschool.org. Hello everyone, here I am with Pat McCabe and I'm delighted that she is the guest for the first of our Hedge School podcasts, particularly since we're going to be speaking about some subjects which are very close to my heart. Pat is also known as Woman Stand Shining and is a Dine mother, grandmother, activist, artist, writer, ceremonial leader and international speaker, which is probably enough to be going on with. She lives in Taos, New Mexico, and we are a few hours away from each other in terms of time zones because I, of course, am speaking from Connemara in Ireland. So hello, Pat. It's, um, it's early evening here and I know it's early morning for you. Yeah, so I'll just say good day. <laughs> <laughs> or as we would say in Ireland, Trinonawa, Trinonawa. Good afternoon, good evening to you. Pat, we, one of the things that I really would like to focus on, certainly for the first part of this podcast, is, is the whole question of indigeneity, what it might mean particularly to those of us who don't normally think of ourselves as, as being indigenous, who have unfortunately more been settlers and colonizers of other indigenous nation, nations. But I'm interested in, in exploring ideas with you about how we might find some sense of our own indigeneity, because my understanding is that that is something that you think is very important for those of us from, from other parts of the world. That's correct. For every five-fingered one on the planet, I would say. And you, you often talk about Indigenous practices and Indigenous ways of being in the world, which are healthier, both for us and for the planet. What, what does that mean to you? What, what is it, in essence, to be Indigenous? Well, Sharon, you know what I would like to do, actually, as sort of a, a doing rather than a telling, is um, I'd like to, to sing a little song to start us off. Is that okay with you? Beautiful. Have at. <laughs> okay. I'm going to do a grandmother's calling song here. So. Okay. Here we go. Where 
Wonderful. Thank you very much. <laughs> so <clears throat> the reason that I that I sing before we begin is because I I, I don't feel uh, right speaking just as this one one expression of this holy thriving life plan and and way of of this Mother Earth life here and uh, especially if I'm going to be speaking to you know, your purpose here is is to convey something to as many people as you can, I would imagine. And so so I don't want to be just a lone voice here. I want to invite in the the rest of the earth community and the rest of the spiritual community to participate fully with us. Because at this time, I just feel like every meeting of as we come together in circle here, even if it's just a circle of our ears in this in this podcast you know it's it's very very important and there's there's huge possibility in every moment and every single time we come together so i've kind of made it a practice now that i that i invite that whole community to come in and that song that i sang the song that i asked for to use in these ways because we don't we don't we we hold back our our songs that were that are for ceremony because they're very specific to the ceremonies that we're doing. And so, you know, I, I love those songs and I, and I know what they can do, but I, I, I want to respect the, 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 the elders and the people and, and not necessarily use those. So I asked into the great mystery, you know, what, what kind of song can I sing that can, that can bring that vibration that, you know, that I can sort of claim to use in my own way as I see fit. And so that was a song that was given directly to me for, for this purpose of, being able to meet with people in in all circumstances, hotel rooms, hotel lobbies, convention halls, outside, inside, 
and even and even in um, recordings and and audio video. So there you go. That's a that's how I begin. Thank you. And um, it's it's kind of interesting because as you were singing that, I was thinking to myself, well, okay, what what could I give back to you, or what could I contribute as a song um, in turn to this podcast? And the sad thing I think is that the only songs that I could sing to you in Gaelic or in Gaelic, which are the languages of the places of my birth, are songs of longing. They're songs for for what is lost. We don't have those songs to to call in others. We don't have that sense of ceremony. We don't have songs to to call in ancestors. So I guess in a way I've sort of answered my own question to you that that part of what it is to be indigenous is to is to recognize the importance of that kind of ceremony and that kind of of calling in of of all of the other creatures on this earth. Yes. And you know, I um actually had the the beautiful opportunity to spend a little time in Ireland and uh wow. <laughs> what an incredible, <laughs> incredible place. And I've actually been spending a lot of time in the UK as well at Schumacher College. In fact, I'll be there three times this year, which is kind of amazing <laughs> uh, to think about coming and going that, that much. And so I know, you know, here's where I feel like I sort of, I have a, a little mischievous grin here as I say that, you know, my, I, I get to be the ignorant tourist culturally in, in your beautiful islands over there because for me as i'm there the earth is so similar and the same that i find myself kind of um putting all of the peoples together like as one like scotland england ireland and and i know people have these ideas like that over here in north america and you know we're quick to say whoa hold on a second you don't understand there's like a big difference between all of us here <laughs> so, <laughs> so i kind of <laughs> So I run into that in the UK, but I will just tell you that just from a pure feeling, you know, in, in the spirit, in the heart, in the body, um, all of that earth is so connected and all of you are so connected over there. So, so I have to kind of watch myself and my language. So please forgive me if I'm, if I'm jumping <laughs> into the old boundaries as we're talking here, but that, that's why, that's where uh, that's coming from. That, and, that's uh, not a problem at all. Okay. And so, you know, what I want to begin with, um, and I know that your audience here is broader than those, than that part of the Mother Earth, the islands there. But what I want to say is I have, I've had a chance to do some, some deep ceremony in, in your part of the world uh, there and in all, in all three of those places I just named. I have yet to go to Wales, but maybe I will at one point here. But, um, and and what what comes to me about it, and and I'm so drawn every time I get invited to come over there, I'm I'm pretty much like yes yes I'll, I'll go because I just feel that there is such an incredible history there of human be humanity's profound connection to the Mother Earth, to the Mother Earth spirits, and um, and so what one of the the images that I've given about that is that I feel like. It, there was a gigantic oak tree growing there and at, at one point you know and it got it got cut down it got cut down all the way to the quick to the to the level of the same level of the earth and and over time you know debris has come to sit on that cutting and and there's leaves and there's dirt and there's there's pine needles you know that are covering it but but it's still there and and it's pulsing it has this incredibly profound pulse and that tree was grown, that tree was grown by the people of those lands that 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 that, that mighty oak grew, um, came 
from the profound relationship, respect, songs, just like the one I sang um, from the people there. And that's what grew that living being. And so, you know, I, I always have that image when I go there. And so what I say is, you know, that that root has not forgotten you. That root is still there. It's 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 sleeping, we might say. Um, but it's it's ready. It's ready to wake, you know. And so so I really feel very clearly that the people of that part of the world, I say, you know, you're because people will always say to me, you know, I wish I lived in the southwest United States where everything is so alive and the spirits are talking and the earth is talking to you. And I'm like, really? Like you have to recognize where you live, <laughs> where you live is so profound. And at one time, you know, I think, I think over time, and, and here's something that's really important about this whole um, indigeneity is that, is that we have to expand our understanding of, of time on, on the mother earth. Modern science has, has given us a very small, like they talk about 5,000 years, like that's a really long time. That's nothing. The history of humanity here is, is hundreds of thousands of years. And so we've gone through many, many cycles. And so what my sense is, um, I can't say that the spirits have said this to me, but, I, but my deep sense is, is that, you know, kind of like at this point on the planet or for some time, it, it people really look to indigenous peoples of North America as kind of a, a, a guidepost, a signpost of, of what indigenous life is like. We kind of became sort of like the poster child, I guess you could say. But but what I want to say is is at one time it was in it was in those islands. That's where the center, like the the most profound relationships between humanity and the Mother Earth and the spirit beings are. So I say, you know, your your lineage is legendary <laughs> in that part of the world. <laughs> legendary. It's legendary throughout the world and it's legendary throughout the cosmos even. And um, and so, you know, that that root is still slumbering right under your feet is a big deal. And I just, I keep having this, um, I guess I'll call it a fantasy of what's going to happen when the people of your part of the world over there really reignite that relationship, really reconnect your spiritual umbilical cord, we might say, to that giant oak that is, as they say, you know, as much as you can see of the tree above ground, it's underground. Well, that whole tree is still there under the earth, going straight down to the heart of Mother Earth. And so I just keep thinking, boy, when, when that part of the world really makes its connection, we're going to see some amazing, amazing, amazing shifts in humanity and in our relationship to the world. So I just really needed to be sure and say that part about where you are, Sharon. Yeah, thank you, Pat. That's really that's a, a lovely thing to hear. Um, for for me in Ireland, it, it is not entirely lost. You know that sense of connection to to place, the land still speaks to us. People still speak to the land, um, and the other world still seeps through into this one. It's just that we have lost. We've lost our clearer ways of connecting with it. So, you know, to, to step back for a moment in, in the Irish um, tradition, particularly, we have lost all, we have no written record or no oral record. We've lost, you know, our lineage is broken. We have no record of what our old spiritual practices would have been. We know very little about the Druids, for example, who were the spiritual leaders of, of this land and, and of um, the other cultic lands way back when. What we have instead is a vast store of documents 
Egyptians, which form a kind of mythology, which give us a little bit of insight, maybe a few clues, you know, because they are, after all, fiction and poetry, so they're not really religious documents. But what we, so we have a sense of how it was for our ancestors, perhaps how they might have how they might have seen their place in the world. But what we have lost is the ceremony. You know, we've lost the rituals, and it's very difficult, I think, for us to find an authentic way of re-establishing that when the lineage has been broken for so very long. Right. And um, my focus, I guess I'll say right now, is to think about this concept. So just to give a very brief personal history to help you understand where I'm coming from. By blood, I was born to the Diné people. People know us as Navajo, but that's not what we call ourselves. We've, we've never called ourselves that. We call ourselves Diné. And so I'm from the Diné people by blood. And so actually I should introduce myself that way. And so in that way, in our formal introduction, we, we talk about our clans and we, excuse me, we get our clans from our mother. But I was also adopted into the Lakota spiritual way of life um, when I was when I was 29, it began for me, and and that has been such a, a tremendous gift that Creator <laughs> sent to me at a time when I really needed it. So I I, I have the experience of uh, well, and then I'll, let me say a little bit more. My grandparents were taken to uh, the Dutch Christian Reform Missionary Residential Boarding Schools when they were very young, and. And then my parents were sent to those same boarding schools. And so the result of that was that I didn't, you know, they, they weren't allowed to practice our, any of our culture, our spiritual way, um, or speak our language. And so that's, that's not uh, a history that's unique to my people. I know it's, it's actually global, but uh, that, that's a very personal part of my history and very recent history, right? And so by the time I came along, nobody was speaking our language. Nobody was involved in, in our culture, in, not, not in a way that was ever presented to me. And so I was plugged right into, well, one, certainly the Christian church, but also into academia and, you know, kind of the, the classic modern world fast track to personal gain, fame and success. <laughs> so, so just so you know, even though yep. blood, um, you know, you might think, oh, well, she just had it all ready made for her when she arrived in the world, but not so, not so at all. And so this is a very interesting time on the planet where many, many indigenous peoples themselves who come from long lineages of cultures that are still very much alive, but are definitely under deep duress and we are losing languages and et cetera, but many indigenous people are in the same boat that you're describing because, because we, our cultures were deeply, deeply interrupted. So on the one hand, it's a tragedy, and we also have our lamenting songs and our longing songs. But on the other hand, you know, so I'm trying to find the, the, the goodness because creator tells me, you know, whatever comes our way, we will use for our purpose. If you stay close to me, if you stay close to the the sacred mo the sacred movement if you can harmonize yourself with the sacred movement that is in all things so that's what that's what is meant by if you stay close to me then you're then we're going to be able to turn everything into medicine so the medicine i see about this tragedy you know i've i've said that i feel like we're a traumatized species at this point because of because of colonialism because 
of the attempt to stamp out the cultures that actually held the key to true sustainability. But the, but the beauty of it is, is that we're sort of all in it together in a way. And what I think we find is that, is that the earth herself is what created all of these cultures to begin with. And so, you know, I know for in my own life, I don't always, I have, I probably have more access than a lot of people to elders and people who, who um, have some of the traditional knowledge for sure. But on the other hand, in some ways it's been, it's been altered and it's burdened with this tragedy. And so I also have to listen to the earth directly in order to be able to decipher, you know, what, what does this really mean now? And, um, and so in that, I, I take a lot of joy in meeting people who are also seeking that. And I think that in that sense, we're all, we're all on a level playing field. We all have access to this Mother Earth. And, and the goal for me is to just keep saying to people, that's your birthright. That's your, that's your inheritance because you are, you are on this Mother Earth and this Mother Earth's heart can tell you how to be here. That's how it's always been. That's what all the culture has always been about. And, you know, and because it's in some place it's been allowed to, to grow and flourish uninterrupted for, for periods of time, it becomes very highly developed. But at the root of it is always listening to the Mother Earth and trying to feel and see and know what your place is between the Mother Earth and our Holy Star. And that's, that's been the whole cultural process all along, and we all have access to that. Yeah, that's that's very reassuring to hear. I absolutely agree with you. I think I think for us over here, you know, we don't have access to elders in quite the same way. I mean, there are many people, I don't mean that disrespectfully to people who have been listening to the earth and communicating with the earth for a very long period of time, but we, we, we have a sense of kind of making it up as we go along, you know. We don't have those traditions or uh, people that we can go to to say, how would this have been done? But to me, I agree with you wholeheartedly. It is very much about keeping the connection open, that the more that we listen, the more that we practice that kind of deep listening to the earth and the other creatures that inhabit it along with us, the more, the easier it becomes, the, the, the more the, the energy flows. And Irish mythology, as I'm sure you know, is not really very different from that of um, other traditions around the world. You know, it's very, very much um, about living in balance and harmony with the land. That is at the heart of all Irish mythology. And people don't tend to understand this as much as I would like, they tend to think that that Celtic mythology and Irish mythology in particular is very hero driven, you know, that it's full of great heroes like Cúchulainn or Finn McCool. But in fact, it's actually very woman centred, you know, woman as as a representative of the land. And our stories, our oldest stories tell us very clearly that if we don't respect the land, if we don't listen to it, if we don't live in balance and harmony with it, if we don't respect the feminine, who in some way represents it, then that channel is blocked. The flow of you know positive healing energy is blocked, and the land becomes a wasteland. You know that is our core mythology in this part of the world. So I think in many ways, you know, you're quite right. We we are coming from exactly the same places. It's just that we are unused to to thinking about it. Yes. Yeah, so you said a lot right there. See which road to take here. I'm going to start with um, you talking about the the hero versus, you know, the women, I should say mm-hmm. the, the masculine warrior hero versus the women's uh-huh. role in, in this. And um, so 
One thing to, that I think I notice in looking at our history that comes, that is being retold in the stories, you know, I'm not going to call them lore and I'm not going to call them myth because they are, they are a way of expressing reality. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, one thing that I notice, well, I think it occurred to me the first time when I read Rianne Eisler's uh, The Chalice and the Blade and in it, she's part of, you know, it was a long time ago, so hopefully I'm remembering this correctly. But she, in it, she was describing how prior to 5,000 years ago in human history, that if you went to archaeologically and looked at, at community sites, that they were not fortified. And there was this very specific point in history about, about 5,000 years ago, when all of a sudden communities... Uh, civilizations, I don't know if we can call them, I guess they were much smaller from what I remember, but they began to be fortified. And that fortification began up somewhere, I'm not going to remember where, but somewhere in, in Northern Europe. And so she was saying, you know, that what she, her point was to say, well, at a certain point, we, we became a warrior kind of people, but we should recognize that we did have a long history prior to that, in which we were not warlike people. And first of all, that was a huge, a huge reimagining for me of who I am as a human being, because, you know, I've, I'd always heard from the time I was small, you know, we're just, we're just like that. We just like to war. That's just how we are, you know? And so that was a big breakthrough for me about keeping my, my heart, my, the eyes of my heart and my soul open to what kind of, what kind of um, beliefs am I holding about who we are? Because maybe that's not who we are. And that's also the beauty of looking at a much longer history than most modern um, anthropology, archaeology, sciences do. But anyway, so what her point was that prior to 5,000 years in these non-warlike communities, what you find are all these effigies of the, of the female figure, right? So mm -hmm. everywhere. Yeah. And, and, and so I'm going to, I'm going to assert here that, you know, so her point kind of was that, you know, when we lived under the goddess, we didn't have as much war or we weren't warlike at all. And as soon as we moved to God, everything changed. So I'm, I'm not going to say that uh, I, I won't challenge that entirely. But, but one thing I might propose about that is, an, is a slightly different interpretation, which is to say that when, when we all those effigies, um, I think... We look at them from our current modern world eye, and that's what we see. But knowing how the feminine is held within, um, in, I'll just say, Diné and Lakota, my experience is that the, the woman, just as you said, is equated with the land, with the Mother Earth, is also equated mm -hmm. with life itself. And so, um, so I don't know that we were looking at a goddess world so much as we were looking at a world that understood that it needed to always revere life, to, to always place yeah. life at the center. And so it wasn't yeah. so much about the woman being more revered than the man. And I think that is our modern world wounding that comes from our hierarchical upbringing in which, you know, you always have to have first and second place. You always got to have one on top of the other. But I think, you know, as I look at in, in my own culture, and like I say, in Lakota culture, it's not either or. It's not, we're not pitted against each other. I mean, in, in spiritual practice, in, this, in the ceremonies that have come from ancient times, and even I will dare to speak here about, you know, some of you probably know about the sacred pipe. Some people call it the peace pipe. That's a little bit 
Walt Disney, but we can go with that too. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and 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 the whole the whole piece about that is you have a stone bowl, and and that's representing the feminine. It's the earth, and then you have the wooden stem, um, which is representing the masculine. And so the power of it is when those two things come together, and then we say, then we have, then we can live. Then we have the possibility of life. Yeah. So. We have to be careful as we observe these, especially gender things from from ancient ancient history, because we're looking at it from a very wounded eye here in the modern world. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah. and so it's hard. So it's a hard. So I have to talk about that first about how, you know, in the power over paradigm which we find ourselves in today, it's very important to keep an eye on who has the power, because it, it really does mean you know whether or not you're going to have what you need to survive whether you're going to have food, clothing, and shelter, all of that depends on where you are in the power power ladder, right? <laughs> and so as soon as we say something like, so the woman represents life and the land because of our woundedness in that, in that power over paradigm, we immediately might jump to, well, where does that leave me if I'm, if I'm masculine or if I'm the man? Am I getting left out? Am I, am I losing power here somewhere by acknowledging that? And um, so I always start that conversation by kind of noting the terrain that we're in. And, and noting how different it is from, from other, other perspectives. Because what has been said to me is, you think you know what the masculine is, but you don't. And you think you know what the mm-hmm. feminine is, but you don't. All you know is how they behave when they're plugged into a power over paradigm. But they behave very differently in other paradigms that humanity has known before. So yes, I think we do come back to, and I think the whole Me Too movement is really coming back to it's part of the re the, the ability to recognize the woman as life and as inherently sacred she has an inherent dignity an inherent sacredness and you know and so you know hopefully we can get over that response of saying well what about the masculine and i find myself doing that all the time just because i, I keep wanting everybody to feel like look just because we're we're naming the medicine of one thing, whether it's, whether it's masculine or feminine, and, 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 and I'm going to say here just to cover this ground that, you know, I know that it's, we're, not, we're not living necessarily only in a binary in gender, right? There's a spectrum. But for now, mm-hmm. we're going to talk masculine and feminine. There's a, a beauty and, a, and a, like I call it a functional polarity that we're looking for. So just because we single one out doesn't mean we're leaving another one in the dust. Uh, <laughs> No, I think you're absolutely right. I, I guess for, for uh, you know, we all have our, our different cultural wounds, don't we? And I think for us in this part of the world, particularly in Ireland, where the past many centuries have been dominated by a profoundly patriarchal Catholic church that really has put women down, it's very empowering for women and it's very important for women to recognize that historically that in the old stories, they actually had a great deal of agency. So it's not, so I suppose my focus on that is not to say that the masculine you know is unimportant but just to remind women that no once upon a time in these old stories you were the moral and spiritual authority of the other world you know there were these heroes who were very active but it was the otherworldly women the women who came out of the wells and the waters who set the heroes off on their paths they are the ones who chastise them when they get it all wrong and um you know and and heroes are always in at the heart of our old stories, if you look at it 
properly, if I may use that word. The heroes are always called to the service of the land, and the land in Irish, in all the old Irish stories, is almost always feminine. You know, so they're called there by an otherworldly woman who tells them what needs to be done. And in a culture where we have been dispossessed of any spiritual authority by a profoundly patriarchal system, I think that's so important for people to know. But but yeah, in general, I absolutely agree with you. Yes, I just, uh, I guess I always just feel a need to give us a little context for that, for mm-hmm. that recognition, you know. And, um, mm-hmm. and so I guess one thing that I wanted to say um, when you were bringing, raising your topic here, you know, so, so let's, let's talk a little bit about how, the how, because you're saying, you know, we don't have, we don't have those elders who can tell us um, how about mm-hmm. the ceremonial ways. And so, so let's think about what ceremony is, first of all. So ceremony uh-huh. to me is, it's, it's a making of connection, both between me, my, myself, and then also with um, my community. And my community can be human. So there's those kind of community ceremonies, but there's also me making connection with my earth community, with my celestial community, with my spiritual community. So that means I can I can have ceremony and be the only human being present, at least physically, you know. So but really mm-hmm. for me what it is is it's 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 making that connection and it's it's listening for how we all fit together. And and so as we listen for this, and then, uh, you know, we we see it in, in in different cultures. I was just recently at a um, indigenous people's gathering in India, and the theme of the gathering was exploring the divine feminine through ancient culture. It was, it was just amazing. But I had some African sisters there, and I just always love watching the spirit come on these ladies. It's just, woo, it, it's <laughs> you know, and there's no yeah. word for it right away it's just it's just happening and so to me that's like a really clear example of what happens when you enter and tap into that sacred motion that's moving through everything and um and so at first you know the sisters will begin to just vibrate and shake and then it can move into a kind of dance you know and so in my own fashion I do the same thing I don't I'm not quite as lively sometimes sometimes I am but but oftentimes not I'm a little bit more little quieter but but it's the same thing and so we're to me the ceremony is is tapping into that sacred movement that is moving towards life and and in and when we enter that place of the sacred movement that's moving through all of this beautiful life and out into the cosmos and to the seen and unseen to the embodied and the and and that which is spirit you know we we do we do we come into that place of creation we have the up because we get to be a contributor in that and we also get to be a, a receiver and and to be honest i feel like certainly with the church but also maybe this has to do with the church's influence in indigenous culture and again this is worldwide this isn't just here in the mm. united states we've tended i think to move towards being only a receiver and not really acknowledging our part and being also a co-creator. And I feel recently I've, I've been getting big nudges saying, you have to recognize your power as co-creator of this reality. And so yeah. I'm going to go ahead and open that door here. I haven't talked about it much, but to say that, you know, so it really is, it really is 
a receiving. So you enter into that, that, that sacred movement to be a receiver, to understand, because we've been so off track, we could say, in a nutshell, <laughs> that, you know, right now we just kind of want to receive clarity and truth and, you know, well, what is real and, and, and how could we be doing this? Because clearly something is going very awry here. We're not moving towards life anymore. We're moving, we're moving towards death. And, that, and that's, not, that's not the story we want to tell here, you know, and it doesn't feel respectful and it doesn't feel respectful to ourselves even. So we know that something is, is, is awry. So we're, we, we go into the ceremony looking to receive. And to me, that is a little bit maybe falls into the whole original sin paradigm in which works. You know, we start out screwed up and somehow we got to keep trying to make up for it this whole way through. And, and to be honest, that, you know, if you tell a young child, if you were to say to a young child, you know, you're just all wrong and you're screwed up. And I hope that you can somehow make it right by the time, you know, you get through with this life. What a, what a, what a horrible thing to say to a young person. You know, I would want to, I would want to call the police and call it abuse and, and take that child away from whoever's saying that. But really that original sin concept is what is being said, has been said. And even when we remove ourselves literally from the people who feel the need to say that in their doctrine, it's still pervasive, even when it's not literally coming out of the church, it's still entered the human psyche so deeply. And so it's, it's, that's part of how we are, have become a traumatized species. So you know, what I feel like it's always important for me to say is that from Diné perspective, I would say we, we believe we came from original beauty. Mm-hmm. And so when we come from original beauty, that has a very, very different feel to it right away. When I say that people usually kind of, you know, give a little sigh of relief and say, wow, okay, <laughs> that, that possible. And um, and so there and and I as I travel you know and, and look at indigenous peoples all over the world I would say that the majority of them are coming more from that perspective I mean we have our cautionary tales of what happens when you go awry but we don't start out by saying gosh you guys are just flawed right from the beginning as human beings and you're gonna have to try to make up for it so 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 back to ceremony so when we enter that place it you know I think it's important for for me right now to enter it not only to just receive so that I don't screw everything up, <laughs> but to also uh, all on my own heart, my own spirit, you know, and this, and this is part of the trusting of myself, even when I fall, even, even when I sin, if you will, even when I uh, get frightened and intentionally do something I know isn't right, but I can trust myself to keep, to know that I will come back around and make it right and, and with and make it right within myself. So I have to have a lot of self-trust, but to enter that ceremonial place knowing that I that there is some that, that I'm a part of this construct, this expression of of original beauty. And and everything benefits when I get to express my little piece, might be little, might be huge actually, to this whole circle of sacred movement. And knowing that is is very it's a radical move for humanity, honestly, at this point, but it's really being called for. So, so that's kind of a little bit about how I might define what ceremony ultimately is. And so we have all different flavors of it. We have all different ways of doing that. And so usually what I tell people is when you want to 
I always say, well, how do I begin? Because, you know, I often talk about hearing the spirits. and They're like, well, how in the world would I begin to hear the spirit? (laughs) So I tell them what I was told is to go out every morning at, at sunrise and make an offering. And so in our part of the world, we use tobacco. That's more in Lakota way. In Diné way, we use corn pollen. And as my clan grandfather says, we're literally fertilizing our prayers to to grow and manifest. And he, he, he used to always say, and that is not a metaphor. So, you know, and also here locally, I live by another uh, group of indigenous peoples called the Pueblo people, and, and in particular Taos Pueblo. And, and so for these people, they, they often use cornmeal. So it's ground corn. But, you know, in, in whatever part of the world you're from, if you, if you either just sit with the earth and ask, or, or maybe you have a little bit of your written history tells you what kinds of offerings that you, that were made in your part of the world, because, you know, obviously it just comes from what you have. But if we can go out in the morning and make that offering and approach, you know, I call them the holy people. It's good. And, and it's really important to specify who you're calling in, by the way. So you, I talk to those which serve life, light, and love. I'm calling on you. I'm reaching out to you. And I'm presenting myself to you in a respectful way. So when we do that, we can know that people, all human beings, five-fingered ones, all over this Mother Earth, that, that's what they've been doing. So we're joining a long lineage when we, when we go out to do that. And, we, and, and so the, the holy people recognize it when we do that because it's, it's a tried and true part of our relationship building. So um, I'll tell people to go out and make that offering and to say, you know, I am looking for instruction. I'm looking for guidance to understand, you know, what, whatever it is that you're trying to understand. To, uh, for me, I actually make it quite general. It doesn't really have to do with me being Diné or Lakota or a woman necessarily. It's just saying me as this soul, me as the spirit, I'm reaching out to you and I'm asking, how can I be of service to life, light, and love? How can I participate fully in the very highest possibility for life, light, and love? And uh, boy, oh boy, if you do that every morning for some time, uh, things are going to get pretty radical for you <laughs> because, yeah. because uh, there's a lot that, you know, as, as I was told, there's spiritual help swarming around each and every one of us. We weren't sent here alone to walk this alone. We were sent with huge spiritual help. And I would say now more than ever, spiritual help is like bombarding the Mother Earth to saying, come on, you guys, you could do it. You could do it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, we, um, so we we open, you know, but 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 none of that spiritual help can do a single thing without our permission. And so that's the law of free will. So with our own free will, by going out and making that offering in the way that humanity has done forever, we say, I open to to step into that larger community that is moving towards life and how, how am I a part of it? And um, so that's like the first, the first ceremony. I'm going to take a breath here and let you hop in if you like Sharon, but there's one other piece I wanted to say. Yeah, I, I just want to, I want to shift a little bit, but please come back to what you're going to say, because I'm conscious of, of our time as well. And I, I was struck particularly by your uh, use of the word co-creation when you began that little piece, because to, to me, that is a very, very important concept as well. I think in this part of the world, in, in non-Indigenous societies, we have a tendency still 
even when we think we're connected to the land, to see it as a kind of like a one-way thing. And we don't see it as a relationship in which we get something back. We, we see it as, I don't know, it's, it's a very stilted kind of thing. And as you know, I work a lot with myth and story, um, or predominantly with myth and story. And I'm often asked by people who live in places where they don't, either they don't know the stories of their particular place, or they don't really relate to them. There are no stories that they can, that they can, that they can pick up on. How do I find the stories of my place? And, and I always say to them that that is very much an act of co-creation. And I just would like to give you a little example while you, while you catch your breath. In Scotland, where I was living before I came back to Ireland about four years ago, one of the great mythological characters, I use mythology because that's the word we use, I absolutely accept your point that it's not always a good word, is an old woman called the Caliach, which literally means old woman in, in, um, in Gaelic and Gaelic. Uh, and she, in our oldest stories, is the creator and shaper of the land. You know, it was made by a woman. And in the place where I lived, uh, way out in the Outer Hebrides in the Isle of Lewis, the stories of the Kaliak were very, very important. Um, they were very common. She was part of many place names, you know, of mountains and various artifacts around the place. And so I felt very connected. That was how I connected to the land was through some sense of that character, of that mythical being, that old woman being being imminent in the place where I lived. When I moved back to Ireland, I moved to a particular part of Ireland where, is there, where there was no law of the Kaliak. There were no stories about her, there were no myths about her. And I felt a little bit cast adrift because that had been my way of connecting with place. Anyway, one day I we lived by a river in a house by a river. And one day walking along the riverbank, I saw an old uh, a grey heron take up from the river and it flew into the sky and it screeched for all of the world like an old hag. And that reminded me of the fact that heron and crane in Irish mythology are very much associated with old women and with the Kaliach. And it was as if some great, you know, perceptual shift was made and all of a sudden I'd kind of found my Kaliach. But in that process, a character came to me and I am a writer, so this happens every now and again, who I called um, Old Crane Woman who was somewhere between the Kaliach and that particular heron. You know, she was a bird woman. She had wings. She shrieked a lot. She was very, very real to me in a, in a most peculiar sense. And it seemed to me that that process of finding a new story, a new connection with the land was very much an act of co-creation between me bringing in my, you know, my stories from another place of the Kaliach to that place in, uh, in Donegal where there were herons. And you know, we, we, we are myth makers, aren't we? We are story makers. We connect ourselves almost in spite of ourselves, I think, sometimes by using the mythic imagination and, um, and, and working with the stories of place. And, and so that's something to be said about this co-creation piece. And I think part of the reason why we have a great hesitation, maybe as a species, <laughs> is because uh, even in, even in, what we might call um, the living indigenous, currently tribal indigenous, I'm never quite sure what term to use, but you know, I feel like because our cultures were interrupted for a time, I called it, you know, the, the great interruption. And, and, and so our, I, I, the visual I always have of it is like our ant pile got kicked really hard. And so we've been kind of running around like ants do trying to put things back in order. And so, what, what I witness happening is, is people will say, well, just like you're, just like you're doing, actually, as I'm hearing you're, you're looking to do is, but even, even in, in, in Diné way or Lakota way, there are sometimes people will say, well, how did, uh, how did we used to do this anyway? And so someone will say, well, my grandma says we used to do it like this. And then somebody else will come along and say, well, my grandma said we used to do it like this, you know, and it's different. And so, 
And so sometimes we have our own little holy wars about these things too, just the same as many religions. And so, you know, what I think about it is that um, we become very obsessed with retrieval of what was, right? Mm. And I understand why we wouldn't, of course. And that's maybe a part of the process, but it's not the whole process, I don't believe. And so what happens is then it begins to seem as though things were fixed in place. They were static because we're like, that's how we used to do it. But, But really that way of how grandma knew it was all part of a continuum of that sacred movement that's that's constantly flowing like a river right and constantly taking in mm-hmm. new input from the co-creators of 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 the crane of <laughs> of the yeah. bone star of of you you know of, of of everything right and so that that constant movement and so it's it's been you know, it has this opportunity to be this constantly evolving story, you know, and my, in my emails, I, I've signed them, you know, you know, for the, you know, for the, the telling of this, of the, of the, of the creation story, which all of us are telling together right now. I mean, we're telling the creation yeah. story right now. And so, um, Except- go ahead. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I guess that that concept that the stories of the land don't stop with anyone or at, at any time, I guess, brings me to, to the last question that I'd really um, appreciate us taking some time to discuss, which is that thorny issue of how how white settlers, colonizers in America find their stories of the land in a place, you know, that is populated by the stories of your people, because these are problems, these are issues that I constantly hear people from America who who um, join me in my work, who do my courses, read my books, asking me, how do I find, how can I possibly find a sense of connection? How can I find my stories in a place where, you know, A, we are responsible for, for so much tragedy, but B, you know, where the stories are already kind of like um, owned <laughs> by, by another people. So I'm curious as to what your perspective on that is. How, how do people, how do people in America find their own stories, particularly so that they don't appropriate yours? Well, there's the, there's the hundred dollar question for sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay. So one, I think, you know, we, we need to understand where is this sensitivity coming from, right? And of course, it's coming from a, a huge amount of pain. I'm not saying, I can't say, you know, that's negligible. It, it is absolutely not negligible. And at the same time, you know, again, our birthright as a human being, as being here, is our is to be able to call out to this Mother Earth. And so what what cultures that have maintained their continuum of their evolution of of this relationship with mother earth and with the cosmos with the spirit helpers so they have you know i always say there's there's lots of ways to get to the top of a mountain and indigenous cultures of today have their tried and true methods they have their own trails that they have traveled their ancestors have traveled when they set out on that trail, they know they're going to end up on the mountaintop, right? And they're going to know they're going to end up in that access place. They know they're going to end up in that place of that sacred motion. But that's not the only way to get there. I mean, you can bushwhack your way up the mountainside. You know, you can ask my sons about that. They'll just look at a mountain in the distance and say, let's go. And um, so, there, so I just want to make sure we understand there is always that. And, and so that, that process is um, going to lead you to dead ends at times. It might lead you to 
dangerous places um, <laughs> that, uh, that, you know, anybody who's already been on that mountain could, could have told you, you know, you don't really want to go that way, but you know, there you went, you went that way. And so you're going to work it out. So one, I want to paint that picture for all of us. And, and, and so for me, I, I have a, an access that I was given through these cultures to, to do things in a way that had always been done. But again, my process currently is, is doing exactly what I just was saying to you about going out in the morning and making that offering, sitting in front of my altar and humming or singing and, and letting you know, new songs come through to me and working with those. Um, and so I feel like that's what people can do that can always do that. There's nobody that can say you don't have a right to do that, right? And what I wanted to say earlier, and when I, and and kind of relates to your elder woman and the crane, um, is that for women, you know, and 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 I'm past this time in my life, but I got to participate in it before I came to this time of my life. Is that a woman's moon time is so powerful and so overlooked in modern world culture. And that is that any time a woman during her menstruation will sit quiet and talk and say, you know, I'm in this time, I'm dismantling the holy altar of life and I'm, and, and I'm giving it as an offering on behalf of humanity to this mother earth. Now that's whether you're literally giving her your blood, which is so holy, or whether you're energetically during that time saying, you know, at this time I'm, I'm, I'm giving this to you, mother. Um, and saying, you know, I'm, I'm looking for your instruction. I'm looking for, for your nurturing, for your nourishment. Um, and, and I, and I'm, and I'm, and I acknowledge that I have this, this opportunity to be in this ancient sacred exchange with you. If a woman will sit on the earth during that time and do that, I, I can't, it, 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 you know, it sounds, as I'm saying those words, like way over simplistic or something, but if you will do it, you will find that you are going to be given stories. You're going to find that you are going to be given vision. That's, that's a human practice, again, that has taken place all over the planet at different times. And that, and because it, you know, modern world has instead said, you know, that is... Uh, uncomfortable for us so please don't talk about it please don't uh, show us any evidence of it and by all means you know act like nothing is happening and just do your work that has shut down a big part of humanity's capacity to truly participate in the thriving life plan here and so that is something that I would say so if you're an elder woman listening to this and you're like dang I missed that <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> If I had more time, I could talk a little bit more about the elder woman's part in that. But but at, at the very least, you can begin to speak just that much um, to the young women around you. Because I really believe that when if we could start doing that, the new stories that we need are going to come. Uh, the new birthing of information is going to come. And so that's a great place for women yeah. who aren't embedded in another culture to begin. And as the elder woman, you know, as I went through my menopause, I was told that I was, I was in labor again. And this time I was birthing myself. And I was birthing myself as the fruitful woman. And so, so I was to treat that time with great care and respect. It wasn't something that I was trying to avoid or, 
or get over just like you know when you're in labor you don't necessarily i mean sometimes it comes down to that and i respect that but in general if you can avoid taking a lot of you know pharmaceuticals and everything to to make it so that you don't have to experience it that's not necessarily beneficial and so the same is true for us birthing as elder women and they say that you know if we can go through that process and be present to it allow it allow it to to change us and it's hard to do because you're there again you're expected to just show up at work and act like nothing's happening when you got this you know earthquake going on in your body and spirit and mind but if we can do that you know we we can ha- claim a seat in the grandmother's lodge and they say that the grandmother's lodges must be reinstated so you know take that out into your dawn prayer how can i how can i claim that seat in the elders lodge how can how can i participate in that elder so that's why those those women in those stories the older woman is uh, kind of birthing that land so we have to think that if i were um, a woman who first had her first blood at 11 years old and every month from the time i had my first blood went to inquire and ask for instruction from the mother earth all the way up until i'm 50 holy smokes uh, by the time I'm an elder woman, I am a, a super precious, valuable member of the community. I have knowledge for us about how we are to be here. So that that line of the woman um, needs to be reestablished, and that can happen for anybody of any race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's a that's a very important thing. I agree. I have to say, just as an aside, that I find menopause the most um, transformative and wonderfully powerful clarifying period of my life so I'm absolutely with you and I think that sense that you were talking about earlier on is that we, we've certainly here in the West we, we've really lost confidence in our ability to 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 make those stories you know it's almost as if it, if it's not written down in a book that's been um, given to some prophet on tablets of stone or, you know, written with the hand of God, then we don't trust in it. We don't trust in our own ability to sit and listen to the land and, you know, believe that whatever comes through is, is honest and, uh, and real. And um, yeah, it seems to me very much that that is what we have to find again. Well, thank you so much, Pat, for taking the time to talk to me. And I wondered, if I could finish, you began with a song, and so I wondered if I could finish with just a little tiny, tiny one of those songs of longing from my tradition to offer back to you. Um, oh, I would love Very, that. very short one. <laughs> yeah. It's not really a song, it's kind of a chant, and it doesn't come from a very old tradition, but it comes from a story that's dear to the hearts of many of us from these lands, which is the story of the Selkie who lost her skin. And that is a classic song. Uh, that's a classic story of longing, I think, for something. Um, and it relates very much to what we've been talking about, that we hear, uh, feel a longing for, for some way of being in the world that we once had um, and that we feel that we've lost and that we see in those of you who are kind enough to share with us your your ways of being from, from Indigenous cultures. And um, it's a song, it's a bit of a song that's called The Seal Woman's Sea Joy. It is what the Selkie sings at the point where she's about to to find her skin it's just very short it, it's not language it's um it's vocables it's just nonsense sounds but it's it's evocative uh. <laughs> 
Buddha day, Yanda, 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 Odar day. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, Sharon. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And maybe we'll pick up another time and we'll do another podcast talking about all that elder woman stuff. That would be very fine. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that conversation with the wonderful Pat McCabe as much as I did. It seems to me that it's so important to have the encouragement of tradition bearers from indigenous cultures to help guide us in the process of recovering our own traditions in ways that are both practical and authentic. And if you did enjoy our conversation, do please continue to follow our work at the Hedge School, where you'll find free resources as well as paid-for courses designed to offer practical guidance for living well, living authentically, connecting with our places, and finding a deep, embodied sense of belongingness to this beautiful, animate earth. It's about dreaming and it's about waking up. Above all, it's about dreaming ourselves awake. Our podcasts are brought to you thanks to the generosity of our Patreon supporters. And if you are able to support our work, and you can do so from as little as $1 a month, please do head over to patreon.com and search for The Hedge School. Or you can find a link on our website at www.thehedgeschool.org. So this is me, Sharon Blackie, signing off for now. Thanks so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next time.